Good afternoon, and welcome to Free to Be Faithful. I'm moderator Kip Allen. Free to Be Faithful is a religious liberty education and awareness program created by the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod in response to increasing governmental incursions into religious life. In 1973, the United States Supreme Court issued its infamous Roe v. Wade decision legalizing abortion on demand. Pro-life advocates have been protesting that ruling ever since. This year saw the 44th annual March for Life in Washington, D.C. Although the March for Life is one of the most enduring and largest human rights movements in history, it's received scant media coverage in the past, this despite marches involving more than 600,000 people. But something happened this time. The media took notice. Perhaps it was because President Trump publicly challenged a network correspondent to cover the event. Maybe it was because Vice President Pence addressed the march with a message of support from the administration. Or perhaps the whole tone of the nation is changing from pro-abortion to pro-life. March for Life President Jean Mancini was free to be Faithful's guest last month, where we discussed her hopes and expectations for the 2017 march. And she's my guest again as we talk about what actually happened at this year's march and her hopes and expectations for the future. Good afternoon to you. Well, good afternoon. Well, this was uh, quite a roller coaster ride we had this year. Uh, it looks like it was a much, much better received march than we've had in, in actually in, ever. Well, um, we've had some beautiful marches in the past. I mean, ranging from people showing up in blizzards to people showing up in sub-zero temperatures. So I'm not sure that I would say it's better than ever, but it was pretty phenomenal. And there was just a beautiful, beautiful spirit. Again, just so many young people, a real spirit of joy, a real spirit of hope and optimism of things to come. So it was, it was quite exciting. One of the things I'd read uh, recently was a uh, an article by a young woman who had attended both the March for Life and the Washington's March on Women, the Women's March on Washington, excuse me. And she said the big difference between the two was the attitude. She said the, the Women's March was angry, whereas the March for Life was hopeful and joyous. Yeah, I think that's that's a great way of describing. So I myself did not attend the Women's March. I had thought about it. Uh, it, for a few reasons, um, before they decided that they were specifically pro-choice and wouldn't allow pro-life organizations to partner with them. Um, so anyways, long story short, I did not attend. However, I caught a little bit of the footage on TV when I was in my dry cleaners and the TV was on. Um, and I would have to say that my sense was that the, the rhetoric was extremely angry. Um, I would also say that the age, sort of the central age of uh, people who were, or the medium age of people who were attending was a lot older than those of the March for Life. I mean, these seem to be, um, you know, kind of mid to older women uh, that were attending. And the March for Life, of course, is a very youthful, youthful crowd. And the mission is love. Um, you're going to never hear a March for Life participant or speaker talk about blowing up anyone's house, much less the White House, you know, um, and, yeah, there was also, there's just a sense of, of unity and love and basic respect in terms of how people are, you know, showing their messaging through signs and different T-shirts and hats and things like that. And I don't think we saw that from the images that I saw at the Women's March. No, we saw a display of vulgarity 
profanity and obscenity, I think, at the uh, Women's March, which detracted from any real message that they might have had, in my view. You know, there, yeah, there's, there's two ways point. of communications. It's what you say and then how you say it. And the way it was said between their march and our march, completely different. Completely different. Ours was one of hope, one of joy, one of love. There was no anger in anyone that I saw there on that. Uh, and the... Uh, the way it had been conducted, we had a, a delegation that was there from the LCMS directly here from the from the International Center. And they were off to one side, and they were waiting for the march to, to come by, and then they were going to join it. And they had to wait an hour and a half <laughs> before there was a break where they could actually get in for That's the marches. Right. Yeah. And uh, they told me that there were people on the street who were not actually part of the uh, the march who joined it. Oh, that's very cool. I, I heard a few similar stories. Um, and, you know, the testimony of the young people is so profound. One story that I heard, in fact, doing a different radio interview, is a woman who regrets having been involved in abortion earlier in life, and she and her husband together regret a decision that they made earlier in life, were sharing their testimony by carrying a sign that says, I regret my abortion. And she was walking, and a gentleman stopped her and said, do you have one of those for fathers? And she stopped and talked with him and learned his story and gave him good contact information of organizations that he could get involved in and, um, you know, basically was able to minister to someone who's hurting very much. Um, and he, you know, sort of loved what the March for Life was about and loved hearing that there were opportunities of finding hope and healing after something, you know, had really hung and, and weighed on him for many, many years. You've really hit on an issue here. Uh, so often we hear the issue of abortion being a woman's issue, but hey, it takes two. There's a man involved in this as well. And the way things are now, uh, if the woman wants an abortion, she doesn't have to involve the man at all. It's her choice. She goes ahead and does it. And yet, as I, as you said, and as I said, there are two people involved in here. And and this this is something that transcends gender. Actually, three people involved when you take into account the, the child. And uh, who's been talking about the men in this thing, who, as you, as this person pointed out, was undergoing a great deal of pain? Yeah, it's a great point. We had a phenomenal lineup of speakers this year, and one of my favorites was Benjamin Watson, who is a tight end for the Baltimore Ravens, this fantastic National Football League player, African-American guy, such a great heart. He's the father of five children, and... Um, just really, really, truly a stand-up kind of guy. And he <laughs> he spoke to the fathers out there and to this very issue, and I'd encourage any of your listeners who'd like to hear that to go to our website and, um, you know, play the footage of the March for Life rally. Benjamin was about halfway through, I'd say, so you could go to about halfway through the, the rally and, and listen to him. He was truly phenomenal. We've, uh, we are seeing a lot of things happening right now in Washington. The uh, Obviously, we've got uh, some enormous challenges ahead of us right now, and there's something of a uh, disarray in Washington while the new administration completes its transition. But one of the things that we've seen is the president has already uh, reinstated the, the uh, Mexico City uh, dictum that prevents us from 
using uh, using uh, public funds to support abortion overseas. Uh, I don't believe he has yet moved on whether or not he was going to defund uh, Planned Parenthood, but he certainly has said that this is his intent. And I know there's some legislation pending that will do exactly that. Mm-hmm. Are we getting messages now from, uh, from, from our leaders that this is going to happen? For the most part, yes. Um, yes, to the specific things that you've mentioned. So we were delighted to see the Mexico City policy reinstated the week of the March for Life, the very first week that the administration was in office. Um, And what we're seeing at the level of the Hill right now is a budget reconciliation similar to um, last year's where they would defund uh, Planned Parenthood as long as they continue to to provide abortions. I would say, and this is a little bit technical, but there's some talks right now this is not related to the Planned Parenthood issue, but it is related to the repeal and replace health care and the you know, Affordable Care Act. And it's sounding to me that the, the replace um, will not be pro-life. It won't have the protections that, that we would absolutely need and, in fact, could in some ways even be a little bit worse than what we've had with Obamacare. And so, um, so the pro-life community may have a fight in front of them. And with the defunding of Planned Parenthood, that would be a huge victory, but this could be a major loss, maybe even worse. And so that's something that we're definitely engaged, you know, in conversations up on the Hill at, at this stage in the game. Uh, which law is this? I'm not familiar with this particular movement. Well, Obamacare, there's, um, the, Obamacare will be repealed and then replaced. And it's, it's the replacement for the health care law, Obamacare. Okay, I'll have to check into that. That may yeah. well be a topic for a future program. Could very well be a topic because it's something that I think is, um, it sounds to me like this thing is moving forward and it would be really terrible for the life issues. Well, and the other thing that was brought out, and uh, we, we have a peripheral program here that's involved in it called the Eyes of Life, and uh, where the life issue is not just about the unborn, it's about the end of life as well. Mm-hmm. And this is something that we are, are, of course, very heavily interested in. Uh, we had one of our, we've lost one of our members uh, about a year or so ago, Maggie Carner, a very wonderful lady, mm, who uh, I remember had, reading her story. She and I had emailed a few times, and I—that's right—I forget that she was connected with you. That's that's beautiful. She just had a tremendous story, tremendous, and especially as compared to the Brittany Maynard story. I mean, what you know, what a juxtaposition there. Absolutely true. And uh, she wrote a very touching open letter to Brittany Maynard, asking her to to stay for her loved ones. And she, Maggie, related to her own situation. Her father uh, was... uh, had a rather long and painful death, but was able to reconnect with the family. Uh, they were able to talk, and they had stories and things of family history. They never would have found out had he decided to take his own life. And I just i am so sorry for Brittany Maynard's husband and her, her family, and I'm so grateful for uh, having been associated with Maggie Carner. She was in truly a remarkable woman. Mm. Wow. And, and you're right. So this, this question of, you know, the end of life issues is one that is hugely important. I've heard many people say that the assisted suicide laws, the so-called death with dignity, and of course it's not that at all, um, it, it is going to be the new Roe v. Wade over the course of the next year or, so, or two. We, we do anticipate that one of these uh, states, will, you know, that have enacted these laws will go before the Supreme Court. 
that it'll be tested and it will go before the Supreme Court, and then it will be um, probably made legal throughout the entire country, depending on the makeup of the Supreme Court. So it is absolutely, sadly, one of the cutting-edge issues in the pro-life world right now. Now, at the March for Life, we focus primarily on the beginning of life issues, only because we're pretty modestly staffed, um, and there's only so much that you could do, but there are some great, great organizations that are focusing on the end-of-life issues, which are you know, just keenly important. I mean, we, we really uh, work to protect the inherent dignity of the human person from conception to natural death. Of course, we focus, again, on the, the early part of that, but, but that's absolutely the way that we look at it. Well, the program immediately preceding this one is called, uh, <coughs> is called, um, <laughs> help me, sir, I just lost it. <laughs> I, I've had one of those days, too. Oh, I my gosh, senior <laughs> moment. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, anyways, but did they focus on the assisted suicide? Yeah, it, well, no, what it was, it's, a, it's, a, it's aimed at students. Uh, oh, good. And uh, what is it again? The Student Union. Ah, Student Union, that's the name of the program. Right. Oh, Lord. Talk about, oh, I can't believe that. I hear that program once a week. Uh, <laughs> uh, student Union, and uh, the uh, pastor on that, uh, Marcus Zill, was talking to a young woman on, on about pregnancy. And the young woman had responded that, since when has society decided that life is a bad thing? Yeah, yeah. And that is part of, I think, what we are fighting. You know, th this is a wonderful gift that has been given to us, uh, whether it is in the womb. I, I'm sure you've heard uh, Aaron Bodie's new song, Right From the, right from the Start. Mm, I haven't heard it. Oh, but... I, I will definitely have to give you a link on that. It's Actually, it's on uh, one of our pages, and uh, it is a beautiful pro-life song. And it's really was one of the themes that we've followed. Actually, it's part of our uh, Eyes of Life program. And it is on our eyesoflife.org site. And it so tells the story about how life is a gift and that it is literally, as the title says, right from the start. Mm, wow. Beautiful. Well, I'll look forward to hearing that. I think yeah. you'll like it. But we've got a lot of things coming up this year. Uh, where do we go from this point? It looks like we have had a good start, but, well, it's early in the year. And you pointed out that we've got at least one obstacle facing us in the replacement yeah. of the uh, ACA. What are some of the other issues we're looking at? For example, the Supreme Court. Mm -hmm. That's In some ways, I think that's the most important in front of us right now. And I think we'll see um, confirmation hearings and a vote in the next four weeks or so. We'll start to rev up our support um, for, for that confirmation hearing of, of Judge Gorsuch here pretty soon with the March for Life through our advocacy program, March for Life Action. Um, so that's that's one of the things ahead of us. And then, I, as I mentioned, the Affordable Care Act replace and repeal is, is going to be pretty huge. And like I said right now, it's not sounding very favorable on the life issues. Um, so those would be the federal issues. And you also mentioned the Planned Parenthood uh, issue as well, which, you know, is great, is great. And I think that that will get through the reconciliation process and the president will sign that into law. Um, I think after that, it's possible that we'll see down the road an introduction of a, an abortion ban on late-term abortions through the pain-capable um, Unborn Pro Child Protection Act, which basically outlaws um, abortions after the first three months of pregnancy, and, um, except in certain, certain cases. So I think we'll see that introduced as well further down the year. 
Um, and then I would also just say more on the, the local level, you mentioned the assisted suicide bills and, and some laws. I know right here in D.C. we're fighting very much against that right now, although it's not, not looking so good. Um, so I would say on, on that level that, that there will be a lot of movement in, in that area as well. Yeah, it seems to me that we've, while we've made enormous gains in the pro-life movement, uh, we've lost some ground in the end-of-life issues. Mm-hmm. So this is something we have to keep a very, very close eye on. I think that's that's very well said, and I, I think that's right. Um, I, you know, it, it's this whole idea of even just understanding the gift of life, right? And that, um, and and also suffering, and the significance of suffering, and how what that means as a person. And we've become, you know, a culture very much that if you've got a headache, pop an aspirin. And I, I'm I'm terrible, you know. I'm I, I should blame myself for this, but. Um, we, we don't understand sort of the enormous impact of, um, of even just surrendering to a difficult scenario, painful as that may be, to the need for compassion and love and companionship. You know, at the end of life, um, we become very sort of utilitarian, even in our understanding of what it means to be human, and um, really lack this very uh, deep conviction of the inherent dignity of the human person, um, whether perfect or not, and none of us are perfect, I sort of say that with a smile, whether, you know, diseased um, with, you know, a, a brain cancer or um, whether, you know, a disability, some, some form of disability or not, we've become a throwaway culture, you know, in a lot of ways, whether that's in the womb, you know, 90%, 85 to 90% of babies that receive a poor prenatal diagnosis in the womb of Down syndrome or anencephaly or something like that are aborted. They're never carried to term. And, um, we, I think especially this assisted suicide bill is bad for people with disabilities in a lot of ways because um, th- th- out of convenience, they can sometimes be sort of pushed towards that, you know, because it's cheaper than a treatment uh, or, you know, or other things to help, help them in their situation. So, yeah, yeah, I agree that we've gained some ground in the life issues, but in some ways we've lost it with the end-of-life issues and just the basic understanding of the inherent dignity of, of all people. And we lost, of course, a huge voice in our favor when uh, Judge Scalia passed away. Mm-hmm. You mentioned about Judge Gorsuch. You know, he's not actually had any rulings in the past regarding uh, life issues. However, he does have a reputation of being a rather uh, staunch constitutionalist. Mm-hmm. And uh, despite the ongoing contretemps in uh, Washington, the thing that I find interesting is that when he was uh, elevated to the uh, to the Tenth Circuit. The vote was unanimous, including all the Democrats who uh, in the Senate when he was voted for. So it's very interesting now that they're giving him such a hard time. You know that he, right? He was unanimously supported. Yeah, um, and you know how are they going to be able to justify that on the floor of the Senate? Well, gee, you thought this guy was so great in 2008, 2006, and now he's horrible. What's the difference? Yeah. Well, the difference right. is that he was appointed by President Trump. But, right. That's absolutely right. Yeah. yeah. Well, hopefully he will receive confirmation uh, speedily. Just this week, Monday, in fact, we celebrated, I guess you could say celebrated the anniversary of the passing of Justice Scalia. Yes. And <clears throat> I remember very well learning that day that he had passed away. And then a few days later, my parents and I, um, they, my parents live in the area here as well, which is a gift. My husband couldn't come, but we all went and paid our respects when he laid in state at the Supreme Court. And there were literally just lines and lines of people 
to pay their respects to him and many young people. It was almost like the March for Life. I mean, it was fascinating to see how many young people wanted to pay their respects to Justice Scalia, and they had to keep the uh, Supreme Court open past midnight. They'd planned on shutting it down at 8, you know, on the last night of, um, of him laying in state. And they had to keep it open past midnight to let everyone in so that they could pay their respects to him. And then the funeral, I wasn't there personally. Um, one of the people that I work with here was and just said the entire thing was one of the most beautiful experiences she's ever had. And I would encourage your listeners to listen to the sermon by Father Paul Scalia, the son of, of Antonin Scalia, who gave the homily at his funeral. And it's one of the most powerful homilies, sermons I've ever heard in my life. And you can get it. You can just Google it on the Internet. It's about 15 minutes long, but it's just really beautiful and powerful. Um, and, 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 of course, deeply spiritual, as Justice Scalia was. And certainly he was a, a remarkable man. We had we lost a tremendous ally in him. Uh, even uh, even his enemies, his political enemies, have uh, have commented on how brilliant a scholar he was and how well reasoned and written his decisions were. Yeah. So. Yeah, and he was also uh, just you know great in terms of developing friendships with people of you know different different perspectives. Apparently he and uh, and Justice Ginsburg were just the best of friends, and they would attend the opera together, and they were known as being really two of the closest on the court. And, of course, they're ideological opposites, and you just have to really respect that and admire that, especially in our culture um, today, where respectful dialogue in the face of differences is next to impossible. Um, at least I've experienced that in my own life with friends and family. It's been, you know, really hard in the wake of this election. It's it's really unfortunate that the understanding of dialogue and just respect for differences has just, you know, gotten really far away from us. I've lost a couple of Facebook friends, <laughs> and <Yeah. laughs> uh, my brother and I do not talk politics anymore at all. <laughs> so Sometimes that's the best thing. You have to agree to disagree, and we had that rule at our family um, dinner table over Thanksgiving this year as well, and that that was at least to get some of the family there, and we were, we were grateful to all be sitting around the table, so it's, I totally understand. <laughs> it does indeed happen. <laughs> the, yeah, yeah. The other thing that, that, that you brought out, and, and I've observed uh, I, myself, first of all, we're seeing the demographic shift within the movement itself. Now, I had not realized until you pointed it out that the march for uh, the Washington's, uh, the Women's March in Washington was much a much older demographic. But now that I think mm -hmm. about it, they really were. Mm -hmm. So maybe we're seeing... They, a... they were. Yeah, they definitely were. Um and uh, <laughs> this, I probably shouldn't say this on your program, but my uh, coworker Tom, who went downtown that day for another reason, said the other difference is our marchers keep their shirts on. <laughs> I, terrible, but I think I think there were some really you know vulgar moments during that march. So um, you know, uh, really a very very different spirit to the two marches. We have such a modest you know youthful, positive, wholesome crew. Uh, at the March for Life, so and 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 varied, you know, backgrounds. You've got people of different faith perspectives, some who don't practice, you know, any religious background. All sorts of different ethnic backgrounds, all age groups, etc. That was something that our marchers brought back here to the IC that they saw. You know, there were Baptists, there were Catholics, there were Muslims, there were Jews, there were people who had no religious affiliation at all, who were still committed to the idea that life is right from the beginning. Yeah, yeah. There's a group, Secular Pro Life, that's one of the best, 
you know, pro-life groups out there that is all very much based in, you know, natural law and science and philosophical principles, and they've got a lot of good things to say. And that, I think, is a wonderful coalition. And, you know, all these diverse groups that are joining together for this one particular cause, and I contrast that with the Women's March in Washington, where it was one grievance group after another. Some were even saying, well, we're more grievance than you are, so we should yeah. be in forward in the march. And uh, that, that I thought, was somewhat ironic. Yeah, we're, we're, yeah. We're here. Our grievance, other- our grievance group couldn't talk for themselves. They're in the womb. Yeah, right, we have to speak for right. them. Yeah. One of the other things about the Women's March that was so strange to me is that I think it had a little bit of an identity complex, Um, it was, people went, but they were all there for very different reasons. And most people that were there didn't know that it was a specifically pro-choice march. At least that's my sense. Um, and it's one of the only issues that they actually made a concrete, you know, decision and platform uh, decision on. So they weren't, I think most people that were there were there against Trump, but interestingly, their platform stated that they weren't against Trump. You know, they were just, you know, wanted to oppose certain things that he had said along the way, which is certainly understandable. But um, I I just think that there was a bit of an identity crisis about what was the crux of being there. Um, You know, we are a one-issue march, um, of course, the the issue of life, um, and pro-life is pro-woman, and we always talk about that. But, you know, this the march wouldn't they wouldn't allow anyone who was a pro-life feminist or who um who had the perspective of being pro-life as pro-woman even have a voice at that march they couldn't partner certain pro-lifers still went but they were very it was really the one issue that they came down heavily on it's interesting to me it really was uh and i saw some of the uh, the signs that that our side was carrying uh really really hit home i saw one that said Having an abortion doesn't make you not pregnant. It simply makes you the mother of a dead baby. That That is very powerful. Yeah. Yep. That's the lie, that you can erase a life. That, and I really think that's what people think. They can just erase a life with an abortion, but you can never erase a life. A life is a life is a life. Well, we're coming up anymore. on about our last minute here. Do you have any uh, any conclusions or any hopes for the future, observations that you'd like to share with our audience? Well, I do think uh, we started by talking a little bit about how life is winning, how how we're coming to a a turning point, especially on the beginning of life issues. And uh, Vice President Pence spoke about that at the March for Life. Of course, it was a historic year having the vice president speak at the March for Life this year. Life is winning. And I think that we're winning hearts and minds. We've come um, so far in such a, a, you know, a sh- well, in some ways a short period of time, in other ways it's taken a while, but I think we need to continue to persevere. Um, I'd encourage your listeners to check us out at marchforlife.org, marchforlifeaction.org to see some of the different year-round programs that we have that they can get involved in either remotely or here in D.C. Um, and really just thanks for having me. Well, thank you very much. You've been listening to Free to Be Faithful, a presentation of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, as a religious liberty education and awareness program. Free to Be Faithful airs the third Monday of uh, third Wednesday of every month. Today's guest was Gina Mancini, president of March for Life. I'm your moderator, Kip Allen, wishing you God's blessings.